Matthew chapter 5 that we've been reviewing these last few weeks contains that beautiful series of Beatitudes delivered by our Lord Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. These uh, Beatitudes, these blesseds, these happier ours statements, uh, these sequence of eight statements describe the most unlikely group of people as being favored by God. Right? The poor in spirit, uh, those who mourn, the meek, those hungry for righteousness, the merciful, all are blessed because of their part in the kingdom of heaven. And not because those things are prerequisites for salvation, but are instead the evidence of saving faith that's already been given in the life of those who know Jesus Christ. And that as we've seen, those eight statements comprise a whole. There's a, there's a flow to them. Jesus is not just haphazardly throwing out adjectives to describe the people of God. No, there's a, a, there's a method. And there's a purpose to his list and to the order of it. And so I want you to just kind of keep that thought in mind as we go to the text today. Uh, and I invite you to open your Bibles, please. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, to Matthew chapter 5. And this time we're reading up through verse 8. And listen for the voice of the Spirit as we go to God's Word. So seeing the crowds, he, of course, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Father God, we ask you to be with us again as we go to your word, that you would purify us by your Holy Spirit, that you would sanctify this message, Lord, not that it would be my words, but that you would speak through it to the hearts of those that are here today, Lord, uh, for your glory, because you promised when your word goes out, it won't return to you in vain, but will accomplish all your purpose it to. And so we trust you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you actually, if you actually been here for the whole series on the Beatitudes, you remember we started out six weeks ago uh, with the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, meaning that blessed are those folks who, by the movement and conviction of God's spirit, realize that spiritually speaking, they're helpless to provide for themselves. And that they're completely dependent on God for salvation and not in any uh, inherent worth in themselves or any bank of merit uh, that they might have earned. And so uh, from that place of poverty, they recognize that it's their personal individual wrongdoings that's the reason for their spiritual bankruptcy and so consequently they mourn over their sins first and foremost their very own and then the sin they see in others and the sin that they see played out in this world system and then by that impoverished and griefing condition they become meek spiritually both before others and before god not not impotent not weak but they become bridled by the realities of what Christ has done on their behalf, which naturally leads to a hunger and thirst for righteousness, for more of Him, for more of Christ and His righteousness. As one commentator said, craving the holiness of God and union with Christ by the Spirit, feeding on Him and His righteousness by which they turn and become merciful in their thoughts and words and actions toward others. So in other words, these folks, these blessed folks, know how great is the mercy that they've been shown by God through the sacrifice of His Son, and they in turn are merciful to others, which brings us 
to Jesus' next addition to his list in the Beatitudes this morning. That next link in the chain, I guess we could say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, now for us modern Christians, we might associate the word purity with a freedom from sexual sin or the lack of moral failure. The audience who first heard Jesus' words said they may have connected that word purity to performing the laws of Moses or to perfectly following the rules of the Jewish teachers. But Jesus was much more focused on the hearts of his listeners instead of their actual ability to maintain the rituals of the law. And as we go through Matthew's gospel, we're going to see that more clearly in the way that Jesus preached, especially the way that he preached against obeying the laws in outward action only rather than from a true love for God. And so knowing that kind of helps narrow down the idea of what Jesus is exactly talking about here and what he means by being pure in heart. Because purity, if you look up the definition, it's most pure and original meaning. It's, it's original sense. is the idea of something being singular, of it being unified, of it being undiluted and unmixed. It's, it's the impetus behind Old Testament purification laws like Leviticus chapter 19, where God says, Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two different kinds of materials. Because purity was a really loaded concept in Jesus' day because the Old Testament was filled with regulations like that. It had tons of laws about ritual purity, and, and the Pharisees took those matters very, very seriously. Even to the point of adding extra biblical restrictions to make themselves look better and more holy and more set apart than the common person. And so by implication, what they actually did was they created a caste system of those folks in society that were eternally unclean in their opinion and those that were clean in the community uh, in a way that God's Torah law never intended. But now Jesus comes along and he challenged them on those views and on their lifestyles and on their attitudes, and, and they didn't like it a whole lot especially when he said things like in Matthew chapter 23, when he said, Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but don't do the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. And so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It was not quite so subtle there, was he? Right? But it needed to be said. Because to the watching crowd, people like the Pharisees looked pure and, and spit-polished and were by implication considered blessed, but Jesus is calling for a deeper inner purity. It wasn't one that's not all mixed up like the charade that the Pharisees tried to put on and that the teachers of the law had, but one that had a singular love and devotion for God. And those teachers and those Pharisees should have recognized that theme in Jesus' teaching and his preaching because God had promised way back 400 years earlier in Malachi chapter 3 
that that's exactly what the Messiah would do. In, in Malachi chapter 3, he says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And you guys, you've seen the refining process, right? On television, you know, refiner melts down metals like, like gold or silver. And then once they're in their liquid state, those impurities rise to the top. You know, they can be scooped out and, and removed so that when a gold bar is pure, it's gold all the way through, right? There's, there's no other substance in it. There's no impurities. It's not like three things mixed together or, or two things mixed up. It's just one thing. It's just 24 karat gold. And today Christ is saying that the genuine Christian will have a heart that's just as pure. So that means all of us here today, right? And all those folks that we know are listening in Uzbekistan and all those other places the podcast goes out to, we're all completely pure in heart right now, right? Right? Totally spotless. Right? And anybody want to? Any? I didn't think so. Because I know I can't claim that, and I know some of you well enough to know that you can't claim that either. So what in the world are we talking about? See, the Jews of Jesus' day would have been asking the same question, would have been asking the same thing, because they knew from experience the impossibility of living a life of complete ritual purity. Every time they turned around, they bumped into a law or a rule or a regulation that they couldn't fully keep. And that's why there were so many provisions for washings and for sacrifices, for their defilements, and to have their sins atoned for over and over and over again, just like we talked about in Sunday school class. And like we talked about last week in the message, how the Bible says the priest stands at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that can never take away sin. How depressing would that have to be? And so we know that's not going to work. We know that can't possibly be what Jesus means because we can see that we can't ever stay ritually clean enough not to get spiritually dirty again, that we can't ever be good enough not to sin. And we just read that we can't ever make enough sacrifices to be fully and permanently atoned for. So where does that leave us? Well, thankfully, it leaves us right where that last verse left off in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, but, right? but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, declare the Lord, I'll put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he will add, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Right? And did you catch that part, the I wills, not the you wills? Right? Because what we need is a righteousness that doesn't come from us because we don't have any. God made that even more clear to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36. It's a little bit of a long reading, but, but it's, it's worth it. And, just, and listen as we go through this. God says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And he says, I will take from the nations and gather you from all the countries 
and bring you into your own land, and I will sprinkle all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. It's not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. But thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I've rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Was that clear enough? With all the I wills, I will. I, I think, I don't know, I, I lost count, but I'm sure I counted at least eight of them. Eight I wills, that he is the one who makes us pure and not we ourselves. So we need what Martin Luther called a eustidia aliena, a alien righteousness, a purity that comes from a source outside of ourselves. We need the righteousness of Christ imputed to us because we're sinners by nature and we can't make ourselves righteous. We cannot put ourselves in a place of right standing with God. We need to recognize that we are guilty and we need Christ's righteousness and his holy standing before God to make our hearts pure in a way that even the most pharisaical of Pharisees could never have hoped to achieve because sin affects us to the core of our being. And no matter how good we try to be, we'll never meet God's standards of perfection on our own. In fact, that's why the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, that even on our best days, we've all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. They're like filthy rags, some of your translations say, meaning our own attempts at goodness are simply not good enough. We need a righteousness and a purity imputed to us, and for that, we look to Christ, which points us right back to the idea that we've been building on these last few weeks, and we've been looking at in the Beatitudes that they're not a checklist of character attributes for us to earn our way into the kingdom, but instead are a description of those who have already graciously received it and that we're now provisionally righteous even though we still sin. Because, you know, just being justified before God, just being declared not guilty in the court of heaven, just being forensically and legally pure does not automatically make us do what's right, does it? No. That only comes gradually through the process of sanctification. And we've covered that before, so I'd, I don't want to plow that field again, but just suffice it to say, by having the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, we can be seen by God as sinless, just like Jesus is sinless. That's the good news of the gospel. That's amazing grace. Not our perfection, but Christ's purity covering us. That's what God sees when he brings us into fellowship with himself. And Jesus gives us a great illustration of this in his parable of the wedding banquet. Uh, further on in Matthew 22, if you still have your Bibles open, Matthew 22, verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything's ready, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops 
and destroy those murderers and burn their cities. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all those they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at his guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. And then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. One commentator wrote on this, he said, it would be a gross insult to the king to refuse to wear the garments he provided for his guests. The man who was caught wearing his old clothing learned what an offense it was as he was removed from the celebration. And likewise, from the very beginning, God has provided a covering for our sin. To insist on covering ourselves is to be clad in filthy rags. Adam and Eve tried to cover their shame, but they found their fig leaves to be woefully scant. So God took away their handmade clothes and replaced them with the skins of sacrificed animals. And he continues later in the book of Revelation, we see those in heaven wearing white robes and learn that their whiteness is due to their being washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you see the point the commentator's making here? See, these guests are invited to the king's celebration from every corner, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and they're brought in the bad and the good, and all the guests have something in common. They're all given a wedding garment as a gift. Nobody's clothes out there in the street, no matter how nice-looking or elaborate they were, were good enough. And no one's clothes were too shabby or ill-made, and regardless, either way, they were not to wear their own clothing into the banquet hall. But they had to be dressed in the garments that the king provided. They had to be covered in a gracious gift for the occasion, and that wedding garment, brothers and sisters, is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so my question to you this morning is, do you have it on? Are you dressed in the righteousness of Christ? Or are you still sitting around this morning sewing up fig leaves that ultimately leave nothing to the imagination and all your sins still sticking out? Or are you dressed in the king's clothes this morning? And you need to know because the wedding banquet's been laid out and the invitation's been extended and the clock is ticking and eternity is too long a time to be wrong. And hell and darkness are too real to play around with and so it's time to check and see what you're wearing and no one else in this room can do that for you. And so if you're not sure and you want to be sure, listen for the voice of the Spirit as we pray. Look into the mirror of God's Word and ask God to show you whether you've been dressing yourself up with your own merits and whether you've been trying to hang pretty bows on a rotting corpse and pretending you're dressed to the nines when you look like Skid Row from God's perspective. Or are you dressed in Christ this morning and washed in the blood of the Lamb? The Lamb who makes you clean and whole and peculiar in an undiluted, singular devotion to God the Father so you can see His face in the image of His Son and the purity of His gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit and be received at the banquet that He's called us to share. Will you join me there? Let's pray together. Father God is truly right and our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ and asking you by the power of his resurrection 
and an expectation of his coming again that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. And so come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this time and this place that eyes may be opened, that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.